You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing the most inspirational leaders in the Australian tech industry together to collaborate, share stories and exchange ideas. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast and our sixth in the special talent acquisition series where we're going to be talking about how to prepare for an ACE an interview. Uh, as ever, we have a panel of industry experts today who are ready to share their thoughts and insights with you on this topic. So let's get into the intros. Val. Hey everyone, um, I'm Val. I'm the technical talent lead at Redbubble. Um, I look after our engineering department and hiring. Um, so Redbubble, we are a marketplace where artists sell their artworks. Um, we've got lots of very quirky things on the website. Um, we're a global company, uh, Melbourne-born, uh, been around for over 15 years now. Uh, we've got over a million artists on the platform globally. And when it comes to the actual artworks, um, there's literally millions and millions on there. So some of you might know us or even bought our products before without even realizing. I was one of those people. I had a bunch of um, really fun T-shirts that I bought online years ago and didn't realize until I applied for a role at Redbubble. So that could very well be you. Um, and yeah, our whole mission is to support artists around the world. So thank you so much for having me, Liam. No worries. Thanks, Val. Well, welcome. Um, Pam, over to you. Hi, everyone. So I'm Pam. I head up talent at Harrison AI. We're a medtech scale-up. We've been around for the last probably almost three years. Myself, I joined as employee 20, and in the last two and a half years, we're now at over 250 people globally. But that is across Harrison AI and our two joint ventures combined. And our joint ventures are Annalise AI and Franklin AI. Um, in terms of what we do, so we're creating some really innovative AI software um, across the um, healthcare space. So currently we've created software in IVF, which allows um, doctors to select which embryo is most likely to result in a baby during the IVF process. Um, and we've also done a lot of pioneering work in the radiology space, so the medical imaging space. We've partnered with iMed Radiology and created Annalise AI. What we're up to there is creating AI software that can help um, detect um, whatever the problems are with medical images in the areas of chest X-ray, CT brain, and there's more to come. We've also got some pretty cool stuff in the works with Franklin AI that's in the pathology space. I actually can't say too much about that one just yet, uh, or I'll probably get the chop here, but there's really exciting things on the way. So needless to say, um, most of you, or I don't, actually, I'm not sure, you may or may not have heard of us. If you have heard of us, what I'm noticing this year is people have heard of us because of our Series B raised six months ago. We raised Australia's largest Series B, which is $129 million. And that has, I think, quite largely put us on the map, which is pretty exciting. It's also turbocharged our hiring. So we've got over 45 vacancies across our three companies. And we are predominantly hiring and always on the lookout for AI, ML engineers, software engineers, but also a bunch of non-tech roles as well in finance and operations and so on. So, um, yeah, really happy to be here. Thanks for having, having me on, Liam. Awesome. Thank you, Pam. And uh, Danny, over to you. 
Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Danny DeFalco. I'm the Talent Acquisition Lead at a company called Shopo. Um, so Shopo, uh, we mainly work within the fashion e-commerce space. Uh, we're one of the first companies in Australia to launch an e-commerce platform uh, when it comes to uh, women's clothing. Um, our main primary demographic is very much kind of that female 18 to 30, which is also our employee demographic as well for the most part. So a lot of what we do, we're a very socially media-led company. We were born on social media. Um, a lot of people would know us for our CEO, Jane Liu, who um, is one of Australia's um, leading female entrepreneurs. Um, and she's someone who is very encouraging of empowering um, and all about female empowerment, um, which is how we roll. <laughs> and we also kind of do a lot of work in the influencer marketing space. So a lot of what we do would be to kind of help bring on influencers to help promote our product, influencers that represent our brand and our beliefs and what we believe in as well. Um, I personally recruit for all of Showpo. Um, so that includes everything from um, some of our offshore team there. So it would be kind of everything from data analysts through to tech, through to everything in marketing, e-commerce, um, influencer marketing, social media marketing, all the way through to our fashion designers, our garment technicians, and everyone who kind of makes the product happen there as well. So everything kind of there from end to end. Awesome. All right. Well, great panel. Thanks, everyone. Great to have you with us. Um, so to today's topic of how to prepare for an ASIN interview. Um, as talent acquisition and recruitment professionals, uh, we're involved in interviews all the time. So we're, we're, we're pretty desensitized to how stressful they can be to people who may only do a few every couple of years. So, um, you know, especially when they're on the candidate side of the table being assessed for their suitability for um, uh, for, for a potential new employer. So um, when you add into that how significantly the process of interviewing and assessing candidates has evolved, um, certainly over the last few years, um, especially in the tech space, um, it can be a real minefield. So we thought today's podcast would be a great opportunity to just share everyone's um, thoughts and insights on that. Uh, where we wanted to kick off with that was the, at the start. So how to prepare for an interview, um, you know, make sure you're giving yourself the best chance of making a great first impression um, and presenting yourself in, in the best possible light. So um, Val, this is something that you're especially especially passionate about. So I wanted to just kind of hand over to you to, to get your, your initial thoughts on how to prepare for an interview. Awesome. Thanks, Liam. Um, so I've got five tips um, for candidates um, more in the tech or engineering market, but some of the tips will be relevant for anyone who's in the market. Um, and some of the things that I'm going to say might sound very obvious, um, but from my experience, the things people don't get quite right are usually the obvious things for us as talent professionals. Um, and, you know, interviewing is very nerve wracking. We all get nervous when interviewing. So hopefully these tips can help ensure you're well prepared going into interviews. Cool. So tip number one, uh, company research. So rule number one, know the company, do your research before applying. Um, so many times people either don't know the company at all when I'm interviewing them or just know the bare minimum. So for example, memorizing the mission statement off by heart, which is very artificial. Um, and both of those things show that the candidate doesn't have any genuine interest in the company. Um, and for most good companies who value and focus on a healthy culture, this can eliminate a candidate quite early on in the process. So if you don't have time to research, you know, we're all busy, I get it. Um, and even if you have all the right skills technically, know that companies don't hire based on just tech skills alone. And what separates a good candidate from an outstanding one is alignment both technically and from a values perspective. 
<clears throat> so the pandemic changed not only ways of working, but it really made people think about what actually matters to them at work and their values. And those outstanding candidates think about that very carefully. And it is then clearly demonstrated in the companies they apply for and their reasons for applying as well. So as a tip, um, if you don't have lots of time to do proper research, you know, you've got deadlines at work, family commitments, et cetera. Um, just don't make things up on the spot. Be transparent about it. Say, you know, I'm sorry, I haven't done the thorough research I would normally like to do, um, but I do love X, Y, Z about your company and I would really love to know more. So the key here is that genuine interest in the company you apply for. Um, and anyone genuinely interested in a company will either A, like already know plenty about it anyway, or B, if they just discovered it, there must be something there that sparked their interest to naturally want to know more. So to conclude um, that first part, um, do your research. Your time is valuable. Um, and interviewing takes hours at times, weeks, if not months. So you really want to know what the company does, its values, and if it's a good fit for you in general before investing your time and energy into interviewing. And I, respecting I was, I was the time. I was given a tip. Um, a uh, long time ago now, um, but I think it's probably still valid that when helping prepare a candidate for an interview, one of the rules that they should live by is um, have questions um, in, ready for your interview about the company, um, but make sure it's not a question that could just be answered by looking at the website because it just evidences you didn't look at the website, which is kind of level one uh, research. Um, and also not to quote directly from the website as well because it that comes across as um, – I'm just going to write this thing down and, and parrot it, like you. I think you, you pointed out about the about the the, the, the mission statement. Um, yeah. <laughs> Danny, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, I've always kind of had a pretty handy tip that I've always um, always used, and I, I found it's a really kind of good way to get really up to date information. So if you go into the Google tab and you obviously Google the companies, I'm sure we all do, but then if you go into the news tab, it brings up all the most recent press releases and articles and news about that company. Um, and it's really up-to-date relevant information but about people that work there, about everything that's going on, and it's a really useful way to get really up-to-date information that you wouldn't find just looking on a website. Important, Pam? Yeah, I mean, I uh, just want to probably add to that a small tip from, from my own experience in job searching and also what I've seen out there. So oftentimes when you apply for a role, um, you're going to get called out of the blue by a recruiter if they want to see you for that role. I'd say the most deflating thing is when I call someone and I tell them who we are and they have no idea who we are, what they apply to. So listen, I get it. You're out there, you're active, you're searching, but please Get yourself like a quick tip Excel spreadsheet, keep track of the company, put in the role that you applied for, put in those company details that Danny maybe just shared with you for some extra research. So you already can pull up something really quickly. If somebody calls you, you know what you're talking about. Now, here's the thing. Let's say you didn't have time to pull up that sheet and I gave you a call and I said, hey, it's Pam from Harrison. You apply for this job. You know, what, do you, what can you tell us about us? It's okay to just say, um, I'm so sorry, this is actually not a great time to talk right now. So can I give you, can we arrange another time to chat? That will make you look better so that you have more time to prepare. So don't feel like you need to have every answer in the moment. You can stall it. Yeah. Awesome. Good tips. Um, Val, so the research, we've researched the company. What's next? What, what, what's the, uh, what's step two? Yeah. Number two, it's what's your why. So, you know, 
more importantly, from a value standpoint, so why join this company versus why you're leaving your current one? So, you know, we can break it down into two parts. So the first part is why this company? So thinking about, you know, value alignment. So, for example, when I applied for Redbubble, it was during the pandemic. And my values have drastically shifted during that time, as I'm sure a lot of other people's. Um, and I really had to sit down and think to myself, like, what actually matters to me? Um, and at the very top of that list was arts and was creativity. So, you know, going for Redbubble was a very logical and easy decision for me because the value of the company aligned with my personal values. So think of it um, from that standpoint and also think about things like, you know, an inclusive, outgoing team one that is diverse and highly skilled for you to learn from, um, strong company culture with strong values, flexibility, autonomy, leading edge projects, learning and development, opportunities for travel, for overseas engagements. There are so many things. Um, and the conversations that arise from that standpoint are going to be a lot more interesting as well. Now, the second part of that why is why are you looking to leave your current company? And that's a question you'll often get um, from recruiters. And everyone will have different reasons. Uh, so what I can suggest instead is the things to not say. Um, the main thing I can suggest is don't badmouth your current or previous employer. No matter the reason, it never looks good um, and only sheds the bad light onto you, unfortunately. Um, another thing I can suggest is don't say you're just looking for more money. Yes, money is important and we all want more money. However, no one on the receiving end of that answer will feel inspired by that answer either. So I still get this more often than I'd like to admit that someone will say, you know, I want a better package and it just doesn't look great. Um, as a side note, however, if you do want to move companies purely because of financial gain, there's usually a pretty good reason for that. So, you know, you could be saving for a house or you're expecting a child there is an economic crisis going on and your current company can't pay you more money. You can't um, buy lettuce anymore. Yeah. No. <laughs> you can't buy lettuce, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, just be transparent about that, but also talk about other factors mentioned earlier. So around company alignment and things like that. Um, and speaking of salary, point number three would be, you know, it's important to know what you want when job hunting. So Give a number or a range that you know you will be happy with if offered. So I still get, you know, often people will say, for example, I want 100 to 120K. Um, and then when we offer them 100 or 110, they say, oh, actually, I want 120. So, you know, in these conversations, just make sure you know exactly what you want. Now, if you do want a salary that you know is above market, it will help to give reasons for that in that in that you know initial conversation with the recruiter. So, for example, you can say you're studying for lots of certifications, you're you know leading meetups or anything outside your normal day-to-day -day activities. Um, that'll also show you've done your market research as well, which always looks really good. Um, another thing I've noticed in some people uh, is that some people don't want to stay their salary until the end of the process. Um, which doesn't really work for budget reasons. So we need to know we are in the same ballpark before six plus people invest their time to interview you. Um, we don't want to reach the end of the process and have any surprises um, and waste everyone's time. So I think it's important for candidates to know that this is the only reason we ask about your salary. 
Um, we don't want to lowball anyone. Like that's not why we're asking. Um, and any ethical company will always pay based on your performance in an interview anyway. So if you sell yourself short, like please don't worry. As most companies these days have internal levels that they match salaries to to ensure equality. So um, that's point number three. Now, point number four is a quick one. Um, interviewer research. Um, Danny mentioned that as well. Um, you know, do a quick look on LinkedIn um, at who will be interviewing you. If you have any common connections with them or, you know, even hobbies or groups that you both may be a part of, um, that could be a really great icebreaker as well in the interview. And then last but not least, um, Liam, you mentioned that as well, questions come with questions. It yeah. never, ever looks good when a candidate has no question. Um, so yeah, to summarize, number one, company research. Number two, know your why. Number three, know your salary expectations. Four, research the interview panel. And five, ask lots of good, thoughtful questions. Yeah, I think there's, there's some really good stuff there. I think, you know, I suppose our... Um, our view of the interview process as as a, a recruitment agency, as opposed to in, internal um, talent acquisition, um, is slightly different. And you know, we we are perhaps more directly involved in helping candidates prepare for interviews with our clients than perhaps an internal person would be, because I guess any conversation you're having with a potential candidate is kind of a an interview anyway, right? So our our, our position on that is perhaps slightly slightly removed or slightly slightly different. And it's really interesting how. Um, you know, again, when I talk about us being desensitized because interviews happen every day of our lives and the, the that salary piece, um, again, I think it's something we're, we're really desensitized to. I know certainly, um, certainly my parents' generation and, and, and whatnot, you just didn't talk about your salary. That's just not, it's just not a thing. You couldn't ask someone how much the money they earned and, and that sort of thing. But I think, um, and I think that, that kind of old school mentality persists to a certain extent now, but I think people are more, are probably more comfortable in doing that. Again, that may be because I speak to people about their salaries all day, every day, and salary is a massive part of people moving roles, and we are all involved in moving people from one role to another, internally or externally. Um, so perhaps there is that, there is that, um, that, 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 um, you know, it feels, it feels normal to us. But I think, um, to your point, Val, it's really important that people really quantify um, the, uh, the detail of that salary, um, and what, and, and and also to tie that into the why, like why is that, what, what why is that the number? Mm. And it could be there could be any number of reasons for that in terms of you know, um, they know people who are um, they've been offered that sort of that sort of um, salary or package elsewhere, um, or they know that the market has moved to that, or they read a salary survey recently, or um, you know, or they've they're you know buying a house, having a kid, whatever you know, whatever it might be. Um, but to be able to put some form of quantification to it, you don't necessarily have to agree with it, um, but as as long as there's a as long as there's a reason, there's reasoning behind it, and you can quantify that, and you can say, you know, I, I'm looking for X because of Y, then it's it's a it's I think it's just it's a healthier conversation rather than oh another thirty grand please, um, because I like money, I like having money, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 uh, uh, you know we are we are not our place is not to uh, to judge, but we do need to all kind of understand where, where people are at in the decision-making process and the, and the why and the reasons behind that so that we can find those matches. You know, sometimes there's candidates that, whose expectations are way higher than, than, than the client's budget. Um, sometimes it's the other way around. Not as often, unfortunately. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, it is, is a fundamental part of, of having a job and being employed. Um, so I don't, so 
I, I, I would I would say it it needs to be less of a taboo subject. Um, and it needs to be something that people can quantify um, in in the same way as you would a technical skill or a passion for something or a um, you know an educational background or something like that. It's 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 a fundamental part of it. And I think sometimes it's just kind of people don't want to talk about it or be asked about it and are vague in their answers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all on the, like we're all looking for the same outcome, um, and it's it's something that, that needs to be discussed at some point. So. Um, yeah, as long as there's some quantification to it and justification to it, I just think it just makes for a better experience all around. Um, Pam, you had your, your your hand up a moment ago and then you took it down. So I'm not sure if I said something that you were going to say or. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you, you, cover, you guys covered most of it. Um, yeah, I definitely like salary is a can of worms. And I'm often asked, oh, should I be honest when a recruiter or when the you know hiring manager says, oh, what, what do you want? Um, and I, you know, obviously me being a recruiter, yes, I'd like you to be honest, not because I want to pigeonhole you to that salary. Um, as Val said, we're going to end up paying you what you're worth based on the interview process and based on a number of factors of your skills and experience, right? It's not just about what you're on. In fact, what matters most to us is what you would move for and what we feel the value is that you can bring. So we will attach a, a, a really, um, you know, we'll attach a we'll attach a value to that, which is fair for the market. It's keeping in mind internal parity, and it's fair for your skill set and what you bring to the table. So, we really do need to know your salary upfront. I also experience a lot of candidates that generally a little bit coy around it upfront. It's in your best interest to let us know. You don't need to know. We don't need to know your exact figure of what you're on if you don't feel comfortable sharing. But we definitely do need to know what you'd feel comfortable to move for. And it doesn't mean we're going to lowball you either. I've had many instances where I end up paying people 10, 20K above simply because they're worth it. That's what our internal banding is. That's what the market's paying. And we're going to be fair. Yeah, I think there's also there's also an element of, um, you know, particularly in the, in the tech space, which is where um, Val, Pam and I um, spend majority, if not all of our, all of our, uh, our, our recruitment time, um, the there's just been, I mean, it's, you just make numbers are going going through the roof and we seemingly know, <laughs> um, not slowing down. Um, you know, it's, uh, the record's getting broken every week, I think. Um, Danny, I'd be interested in, you know, I don't know that tech is something you recruit for, but you obviously recruit for a lot of different other, other areas and, 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 and skill sets and whatnot. Is that, is that across the board as are, are all a salary? Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't want to go, just go down the path of whole <laughs> yeah. of talking about salaries, but interested to you know what's the what the the, the yeah, totally. doing outside of tech. Yeah, outside of tech. I mean, that's something that isn't um, exclusive to tech. That's something that's completely across the board. And I think just to probably add to kind of a lot of kind of what's been said here, I think the one thing um, that sometimes or occasionally happens is that you'll give us a figure and then we get right to the end of the interview process, references are done, we're ready to make the offer. And then the candidate comes back and goes, no, actually, now I want this amount and kind of push that up. And unfortunately, what you're doing there is, you know, you might have been a little bit clever thinking, oh, yeah, you know, you don't ask, you don't get. Um Unfortunately, what that does for us is that we've already set our budgets internally. We've already gone through the approval process. We've already um, got approval from hiring managers based on this. We've already kind of gone this way. We've already adjusted budgets. We've already done all these things. So then what you potentially risk doing by doing that is actually putting people's noses out of joint in a, in a way. Sometimes the hiring managers just don't want to play Dutch auctions um, with people and they appreciate kind of the fact you've come with a figure and you're sticking that figure. I've had it before, you know, kind of where hiring managers have completely rescinded offers because um, somebody's come back at the final stage and kind of asked for more, more salary. So just to kind of touch on your point, Val, just be really kind of set on what it is that you want at the start. Um, 
nobody wants to kind of be playing those internal tug of wars right at the end of the process when everyone's excited and we want to keep that excitement going if you're you're excited about the role we're excited about having you um and it can just sometimes put a little bit of a, a, a kind of a damper on what's up to then has hopefully been a very kind of streamlined process Pam what are your thoughts on that yeah, look, I, I, I largely agree, although I think there are some good exceptions where, it, you know, salary can change at the end of the process. So oftentimes we'll be chatting to a candidate, they're just chatting to us. And what do you know, by the end of the process, they've got multiple offers on the table. Oh, so, of course, yeah, yeah we, we get it. Like sometimes it does happen and we're understanding that is an example where, OK, you may be adjusting your expectations if everyone else is paying you higher. Yeah. The other the other thing you might adjust is sometimes you don't understand the full scope based on an advert you know, understandably, or a PD. So by the time you go through the interview process, you realise, oh, I'd be signing up for a lot. Um, Then you may adjust. You may also adjust if you actually weren't 100% sure and calculating all all the little benefits that you currently get, like health insurance paid for and all these things. And then when you get the final offer, you're like, oh, damn, I didn't account for X, Y, Z benefit in, um, you know, that, that my company's paying for. Now I need to up my salary. So guys, know your package, know what you're already on before you go into a process and know what you want, okay? Yeah. But yeah, we do understand sometimes there are little variances. Yeah, and I totally agree with you there, Pamela. Sometimes it is a situation where you've got a really kind of hotly contended candidate and, you know, if they come to you and they go, look, I've actually just been given an offer like this, I think that's one of those kind of rules where you can go back and say to the home manager they've actually been offered this. And I think that's one of the occasions where definitely kind of is fine to do that. <laughs> I suppose that I imagine the, the original point was was – referencing more those points where you you, you get to uh, a candidate knows that they're the preferred uh, person mm. for the role and like, right, okay well now you want me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, ba- how badly do you want me you know, <laughs> um which um you know it's it's I suppose it depends on the extent of the of the, of the difference. You know, if you, you know, can I can, can I get a car space versus can I get an extra thirty grand? You know, um, it's, you know there, there, there are degrees of, of acceptability, right? Um, and I suppose the, the manner in which in which those requests are made. But um, but yeah, I think and, and to 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 talk about another one of your uh, uh, points, Val, um, particularly around um, around the question the questioning at the end have have questions. Um, uh, to ask your interviewer, you know, the whole interview, interviewer, interviewer thing. I think too often um, everybody knows, I suppose, it's, I suppose it's one of those basics you were talking about. Everybody knows that you should have um, have questions for your interviewer. That's obvious. Um, it's one of, those, one of those things that everyone's told and everyone knows. Um, I think having, leaving space in your questions, rather than, these are the five things I'm going to ask at the end, um, which are often... You know, we we all interview people all the time. We often know what the common ones are, and we tend to tick those off through the interview. So then, you you, you often get that situation where, oh, look, I did have some questions, but you've answered them all. Thanks for that. Um, leave space in your thinking to for other questions to come out of what you learned in that interview. You know, go in there with not necessarily a question, but something you want to find out more about, um, rather than specifically, you know, uh, what's what's the what's the culture like. Which I'll also flag as my least favorite, uh, my least favorite vague question because it doesn't actually mean anything. Um, um, you know, some of the more generic, um, uh, unexciting questions leave a bit of space to you know things you will learn about things through the interview. At least you should learn new things about the business and the role and the opportunity through the interview, and to kind of tie one of your questions back to something that you learnt 
through the interview to show i think that shows that you're genuinely passionate and and, and interested and, and engaged in what you're talking about that you actually listened to what the interviewer said throughout because you're referring back to something that they said um and you're giving up yeah if it's something that the interviewer said in that interview then you're giving them the opportunity to to talk about themselves or their business again right you're showing interest in in, in something that they said or something that they're, that they're interested in um and that's always good people always we always like to feel like people are interested in what we like and what like to talk about the things that we like to talk about um so you know i, th- I think perhaps not going in with prescribed questions or things you want to ask but perhaps not just having that as a, a finite list and actually thinking about adding to that through the conversation so it just becomes more of an engagement and it becomes more of a conversation rather than a traditional Q and A interview. I think it's something that, um, I think, I think is, is, is especially, um, you know, worthwhile advice, um, when, when speaking to candidates, um, pre-interview. Okay. Um, anything to add on the, on the, on the tips, Danny, anything that you'd, uh, you, you, you talk to people about in terms of helping them prepare for their interviews at Tropo? Um, I'd, I'd just say, um, obviously, kind of a genuine vested interest in the company. And I'd, I'd probably just in terms of kind of the questions that you were saying there, I think a question we get a lot is the one you touched on there is, you know, what's the culture like? I think probably a better way to kind of phrase that question is probably more around, you know, how do your company values reflect your culture is probably a good way to kind of phrase that. Because um, ultimately, you want to know that the, the kind of values that a company hold themselves to and that you've read up on, you want to know that that's reflected and actually they actually live to that. I've worked in companies previously where values are kind of be bold and all these things or we're innovative and those kind of sorts of things. And when you're actually like pull the hood down, like there really wasn't anything innovative <laughs> there. So I guess you really want to kind of understand that from your perspective, it's a two-way street. You really want to be knowing that the company that you're going to is a company that reflects your values and is a company that you're joining for the right reasons. And you really need to understand um, that company and, and why why you want to join them. Yeah, absolutely. Um so Pam, so we, we would, when you and I were speaking in, in preparation for the uh, for the, the episode today, um, you were especially keen and, and, and passionate about talking about um, different types. Yeah, you know, we're in the, we've done the prep. We're in the interview now, um, and there's obviously lots of different types of interview questions and um, different ways of, of of structuring a conversation. And you want to talk a bit about how to answer and those different answer and prepare for different types of interview questions that you might encounter um when um when it's been through a new role so um I'll, I'll i'll hand over to you to to give us a give that a bit more a bit more context yeah thank you Liam. so like with this section i i think what i really want to cover on is how to um effectively answer some of the most common styles of interview questions you're going to get but i also want to cover on off on some really important tips, some you may or may not know or may not have heard of. I do get into psychology a little bit here. Um, And they're actually really, really effective to help you stand out. Um, But before I get into it, I do want to just quickly touch on, I do have one final tip around prep. Your recruiter is your best friend. So um, ask them, what can I, a lot of people forget to ask and the recruiter shouldn't forget, but sometimes they do, they're human, to pass on the focus areas for the interview. If it's not already written in your prep email, go ahead and ask them, what is the focus area for this interview? They would have seen other candidates do the interview. They know what the focus areas are going to be. So ask them for that insight. It will definitely help them prepare. And obviously, do your research on Glassdoor. You can probably see previous questions on there. I know that's a little cheap. Uh, but it also tells you if that's a good place to work for on the pros and cons, which you need to know going in. All right. So. Let's get started. So um, when you um, begin an interview, uh, I got to say probably nine out of 10 of us have had the dreaded tell me about yourself question. A lot of interviews have since uh, moved on from saying that, but equally a lot still say it, 
when you're given such a broad question at the beginning of your interview, um, the best way to answer that, um, tell me about yourself question, for example, just be really concise. It's actually a test. You should know about yourself really, really well. You should be able to say, well, I've had 10 years recruitment experience working at XYZ, XYZ. I focused on doing this and this, and here's what I enjoy. Um, so try to keep it brief. That's my biggest tip. It's a bit of a test to test your communication skills and how well you can succinctly communicate about something you should know very well. Um, the other thing is in terms of the beginning of the interview, um, you actually probably notice that you get into a little bit of chit chat. Well, I definitely recommend you do if you don't. Um, there's usually that kind of moment where, you know, people are like shuffling around to sit on desks if it's on site or, you know, people are fiddling around with their mics. That is a great chance to like hop in there and build some rapport, chit chat about the weather, ask them how their day was, um, if they've got a busy day ahead, like whatever it is, just try to break the ice and um, connect with them, smile, use your body language, just build rapport from the get-go. The beginning and the end of the interview are the best times to do this. At the end of the day, people want to work with people they like. You might be the best skilled person, but if you don't have a nice personality, unfortunately, that's not going to give you the X factor that will get you hired, right? We we hire for a lot more than just skills these days. We're hiring for someone's personality, someone's motivation, which are actually much more important um, because we know we can train skills, but we can't teach the former. So now the types of questions you're going to get typically fall into two categories. You've got your behavioral questions and you've got hypothetical questions. Um, at Harrison and at Google, where I previously worked, we would definitely over-index on um, asking hypothetical questions far more than behavioral. And the reason why is that hypothetical questions actually allow us to assess um, your problem-solving skills and your cognitive agility far more effectively than we're, if, we're to ask, if we were to ask you a behavior question. So let me quickly touch on the difference. A behavior question looks at how you've handled a previous challenge in the past. And it's we ask you these questions because the theory is, well, if you've done it well in the past, theoretically, that's how you're probably going to do it in future. So they usually start with, you know, it's going to be a behavior question when someone says, oh, give me an example of a time when you dealt with a difficult stakeholder or tell me about a time when. So as everybody knows, like the best structure in terms of answering behavior questions is the STAR technique. So talk about the situation, task, action, the result. But what you may know is my little take on this, right? Keep your situation and the task when you're describing what's happened. Keep that really brief. It's actually the boring bit of your answer, necessary to set context. But what you really want to be delving into is the actions talk in the I as opposed to saying we, because it shows your accountability and what you actually did to drive a solution forward or a project forward. Um, I think a lot of candidates in interviews make the mistake of saying we did this, we did that. And the interviewer just wants to know, so what were you personally involved with? And I know a lot of cool things that you did obviously involve a team. It doesn't mean you can't say we, but just be very mindful to call out exactly what you did. And then um, make sure you link back to the result. People often forget this. It's the so what. What did you achieve? Was it a time improvement, a cost efficiency, a delighted stakeholder that gave you repeat business? Whatever it was, always link back to the so what. That's where you're answering the question and that's where you can stop talking. So hypothetical questions, they are questions that um, are quite open-ended. And um, I love these questions because they really help assess how would you deal with something that you actually haven't experienced yet? So it really encourages you to think outside the box and to um, demonstrate role-related problem-solving skills. So a hypothetical question would typically start with a phrase like, okay, suppose X, Y, Z happened, what would you do? 
do or imagine that you were tasked with X, Y, Z. What would you know? What would you do? It's less about getting to a right or wrong answer, but it's all about understanding your thought process and how you got there. So the best way to answer any kind of hypothetical question well is to follow these, I would say, three steps. So one, show you understand the problem. Make sure you're defining what is the root cause of the problem and why. Um, are you thinking, for example, about how to gather information from relevant stakeholders or, you know, do you need to actually ask your interviewer a follow-up question so that you've got the right parameters and assumptions in place? You can feel free to qualify a question if you don't quite understand. In fact, you definitely should. Um, and then you want to be talking, <laughs> excuse me, got a cough. Once you've defined what the problem is, you then need to think about like exploring why it's a problem, what are the potential solutions, the pros and cons for each of those, and then why your suggested solution is the best option to take. So you want it. So step two for answering hypothetical questions well is to explore solutions. Step three is to measure success. And you've got to go a step further. The best candidates will always talk about, okay, so I've just recommended this solution, but here's how I'm actually going to measure and monitor the success of what I've suggested. And these are what the potential success indicators look like. Here's my contingency if it doesn't go to plan. <clears throat> this is my definition of what done looks like. So that's kind of the, the main buckets of questions you'll typically get asked in an interview. Um, in terms of, I think, you know, what I want to move into next here, it's just around kind of general tips for interview success. But before I do, what do you guys think? I am curious. What are your thoughts? No, I, I, I agree with um, a lot of what you said there. Um, I think one of the things that, um, and I think back to, I suppose I'm trying to uh, position my thinking around when I'm interviewing for people to join Evolution rather than interviewing them for them to join an uh, interview with a client. Um, and um, I think there's the the interview persona um, that you, you you don't necessarily meet the person, you meet the person they're pretending to be interview and you can always i think you know again we, we we interview people all day every day so we're perhaps a bit more attuned to it but um not being genuine um and authentic comes across um and and to, when, when the, the the reason i got i got go down that path um relates to what you said pam um when you're answering questions, it's okay to talk about times when you didn't do something very well. And it's okay to talk about things where you failed um, or things that you learned from that. Obviously, as long as you go on to then talk about what you learned from that, rather than saying, I'll do that again if I've got the chance. Um, you know, but, but I think people are... You know, Perhaps it's an old school mentality where, you know, I suppose back in the day, probably generation, generations before ours, um, you just you were just, you know, grateful to, to be offered a job. Um, and, and you know, you went to you went to work because that was a thing to do. And you just took a job because everyone was supposed to have a job. And um, there was much there was much less engagement or, or um, you know, it was, it was a one way transaction, effectively, employer to employee. Um and I think people want to hire certainly certainly when 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 we recruit, I want to hire real people. To your point, I'm gonna be working with you. I'm gonna be sitting with you all day and spending more, you know, famously more time with you than I do my own family. Um, so I wanna like you. I want I want, I want us to get on. I wanna I want I want there to be a level of trust and a level of um um you know genuineness and authenticity about about the things that you tell me i get there's going to be some little white lies and you know and, and and perhaps you might embellish on some of the things that you know embellish the outcomes but we've all failed it's okay 
Um, so to, and, and I just think that shows a, a level of, a level of humility and 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 learning and, and as I say kind of authenticity to to answer questions about you know the behavioural side of what you've done in the past to actually point out somewhere where this is I tried this once oh, that reminds me of a situation I was in I didn't really do a very good job of it let me tell you how mm-hmm. right um, because you know it, I think it, it, it warms people we all make mistakes we all we all have to learn from those so to you know if someone's sitting an interview claiming they've never made a mistake in everything they've ever done <laughs> they did perfectly. I'm not hiring that person because they're a liar, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I think just that that level of kind of authenticity, as well as obviously giving a good account of yourself, and um, you know, and, and a lot of the things that you that you you, you mentioned there were, were really good, um, you know, insight into how people can think about the questions that they're asked um, and apply a bit of structure to them rather than just winging it on the spot. I think it's, I think it's really good. Um, Danny, how about you? Yeah, like, totally. Like, so we use um, probably the same as Pam, like a mixture of kind of hypothetical um, and behavioural-based questions. Um, and if you're unsure, I guess, kind of what some of your behavioural-based questions are going to be in relation to, a, a probably quite a good tip there is you should always have the position, full position description before you enter an interview process. So go through, have a look at everything. If you haven't done something that's listed on that on that PD, like in, in one of the duties, think of how you would tackle that and how you would um how you would do that and you know kind of bring that to the table um as well like you know kind of you can maybe kind of you can pick out kind of maybe what some of those behavior questions are going to be by what's listed you know things like um you know influence upwards you know a lot of that is going to be to do with stakeholder management so you can almost guarantee you're going to get a behavior question or hypothetical question around stakeholder management so you can really kind of start to pick that out just from all of everything you've been provided before the interview as well yeah i think the um uh the point about the about the PD and I have no PD JD job description. Um yeah, sorry, recruit acronyms. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> They're just called job specs when I <laughs> job specs, TDs, JDs. Um the um I think so that there's with with a lot of the clients that we recruit for, there is an understanding and an acceptance that that is a wish list. Um, and we're not expecting 100. percent You know, there's 10 bullet points. We're not expecting everyone to have 10, all 10 of those of those skills or experience. And I think there's there's certainly over the last probably five years, um, there's been more of an acceptance that actually someone with 100 percent of what you're looking for is probably not the right person for that role anyway. Your optimum is somewhere around that 70, 80. So they've got that 20, 30 to grow into. Yeah. If they've already got the experience, in the, if if everything you're looking for them to do, they're currently doing in their current role and they want to leave that role, why would they come? To, how long is it going to be before they want to leave your job, which is doing exactly the same thing? Mm-hmm. So there's like, having that having that opportunity to to grow into um, into that role and that you know 20, 30 percent. Um, and and from the, I suppose that's on the client side, on the candidate side, identifying that and 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 openly talking about that in the interview again to that to what I was saying earlier about authenticity and being genuine. You know, looking at the job spec. I, I see that there's there's these things I've had some exposure to it and I'd be really interested in, in, in getting more exposure to that and <clears throat> learning that that skill or that competency um and, and and having that conversation there in in the first interview rather than um you know have you done have you have you done this? Tell me your experience about this. Yeah, yeah I've done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um because if you can't give examples, you probably haven't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and 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 but I suppose the point is if you haven't, most of the time, unless that's absolutely fundamental number one thing you need to do in that job it's probably fine because people you know employers expect to have to train people and and, and develop people and want to in 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 you know in, in in the vast majority of cases in my experience anyway um so i think that's yeah taking 
again, I suppose it's one of those obvious things that we, we kind of go, oh, well, everyone does that, right? Probably not, because it's one of those, it's so obvious that you can sometimes forget it. Um, so I think it's yeah, a really good point, Danny. Um, Val, any, anything to add to that? Yeah, I was like, I agree with everything everyone said. And I think it's it's important to know that it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. Can we come back to that? Or, you know, just just don't try to make things up like that authenticity and honesty and transparency. It goes a lot, a long way. Um, and yeah, people can easily pick up on someone's just trying to make something up. And it's it just shows someone's character as well. And in the back of your mind, you'll be thinking, well, if you're, you know, kind of making things up now, how will that translate into the work that you do if we hire you? Like, where's the trust? Where's where's the transparency? Right. So. So, yeah, it's OK to say I don't know. Yeah. From my personal personal point of view, again, when I'm interviewing people to join, join Evolution, we often hire people um, at kind of entry level and, and you know, trainee level, associate level. Um, and I'll ask them questions about you know how would you how would you approach a certain situation or you know, how would you, you do a certain thing um and i always preface it with look i don't expect you to know the answer to this because you've never done it before but what i want to see is i want to see them have a go i want to see them say you know rather than you know have a have a guess and then go oh i don't know tell me i want them to try and problem solve that to your point uh, as well you know a lot of that was what you were saying there pam about want to see how you problem solve the questions you ask the the rabbit holes you perhaps go down how you pull yourself out of them and and go down another path um you know the the the, the we, we whatever your job is the problems arise that you have to solve that you haven't seen before hopefully not super often but it does happen um so to be able to um to demonstrate that capability uh, i think is really is really really important certainly i say when i when i'm in, interviewing people to join join evolution yeah exactly and look i would always coach candidates of course if you don't know say you don't know but i wouldn't just leave it at i don't know i would say look i don't know that Honestly, I don't know that. I haven't had that experience. But it's something that I'm really looking to gain a little bit more exposure in. I'm really passionate about it. Um, what I would do to find out that information is I would go ahead and enroll in this course or I would speak to some people in the business that already have a lot of the contextual knowledge or you actually just say, I don't know, but but here's what I would do about it to bridge that knowledge gap. And at the end of the day, what we realise People don't want to leave a job to do what they've always done. So going back to your, you know, 80% there, Liam, and we will definitely leave room to hire on potential, right, as long as there's a base level of skills. Probably even less than 80% these days. Like we hire people sometimes at 60 70% there, which I love. Some of them are career transitioners, you know, um, some of them are internal mobility candidates. We definitely do leave um, quite a bit of leeway for potential and skill that hasn't yet got there. There's obviously just kind of must-haves that must be there, and you'll see that in the role advert. But all the desirable stuff, like you don't need to hit all those points. If you hit some of them, great. Um, we definitely recognise. And that's a point that you can use to your advantage in interviews. If the interviewer goes, well, you don't have experience with this, or you don't have that, you can go, yeah, I know. I don't have that. But here's what I do about it. And at the end of the day, I don't want to leave a job to to kind of, you know, to leave a role to kind of do something that I've always done. There has to be something in there for me that I feel like I can learn and grow. And that is a great way to phrase it too, because now you're also looking like someone who's got a great growth mindset. And every company wants to hire someone like that. Yeah, I think I will just correct something I said earlier. There are people who want to join another, take another role somewhere else, doing exactly what they've done before. But we already discussed those earlier. They're the ones who just want to leave for more money. Um, so we can probably, we, we can probably we can probably skip over those skip over yeah. those people for yeah. the purpose of this conversation. Um, Pam, there was there was there more to your to your yeah. uh, to your advice there. 
Yeah. So um, the only other thing that I wanted to kind of flag here as well um, is I would say from the thousands of candidate interviews I've done that I've heard hiring managers kind of give me feedback on candidates from all of these interviews, the most common interview mistake is, I'm curious what you guys think it is actually. I'm going to tell you what it is, but I, this is, this is my experience and I've probably, it's qualitative, but do you, what do you guys think is the most common interview mistake? This, um, is, this is what you should avoid. If you were to pick one, what is it? Just one. Uh, <laughs> um, not preparing for an interview. I, I, would, yeah, I would say failing to prepare properly. Okay. Definitely be up there. Um, okay. Think that one specific thing. Um, I mean, I can think of some, some things that have happened in in you know, thousands or tens of thousands of interviews that I've been involved in uh, yeah. or arranged for clients over the years that probably aren't suitable for this audience. <laughs> <laughs> so I, won't, probably, probably, I probably won't mention that. Um, so I, would, yeah. I would probably say most people are fairly savvy and would know to prepare for an interview, right? You know it's coming up. You Generally speaking, most people do prepare. I find the most common interview mistake is over-talking. All right, people who are super passionate about what they do, go on tangents, don't answer the question directly or don't know, but don't want to say they don't know. So they fill it with words instead. So when you over talk, it's really problematic because, A, you don't answer the question. That means you frustrate the interviewer who's mentally exiting the conversation. And maybe you do have some gold nuggets in there, but they're not listening at this point. So you do yourself a disservice and you don't get to get across you know, you're not showcasing yourself in the best light, which is what you want to do in an interview. So be concise. Um, now, that doesn't mean you give one word answers. I gave this um, advice to a candidate once and they just gave one word answers in the interview and that didn't go well. So this could backfire, but there's a balance. And how do you know when you've reached that balance? Well, it's very simple. As soon as you feel like you've answered the question, you just stop talking. Leave the space, leave the pause, leave the silence. It is super powerful and an underrated skill that you should use in interviews. The reason why silence is amazing, for a number of reasons, actually, it's amazing. One, it gives the interviewer time to actually process and digest what you said. Two, it actually forces you to slow down and think about what you're saying a little bit more. So your answers come out more structured and well thought out. Consequently, they'll be more concise. Um, and three, um, pauses are really powerful because they also show you're in command of language, you're in control. It, it, it automatically lets people think, oh, yeah, this person must have pretty good communication and stakeholder skills. And you know what? That pause there, they probably have a lot of knowledge in reserve. That's cool. <laughs> Whereas if you give some verbal vomit or diarrhea, like people are probably thinking, oh, my goodness, what is that? What just happened there? Um, it actually shows you have a lot of knowledge in reserve if you just pause, actually. It's a really powerful technique for so many reasons. So... So one thing you take away, be concise, use pauses effectively to your advantage. Um, Danny, you, you wanted to add something here? Yeah, totally. And I think if you're sometimes if you're a bit unsure if you've answered the question or not, like we all get nervous sometimes, or maybe you're not kind of completely clear on what's being asked of you in the question. Maybe the interviewer kind of didn't stretch the question kind of in a really kind of structured way. Um, once you stop talking, it's absolutely fine to say, have I answered the question? And also that does give you another opportunity because they will then go, well, actually, you know, kind of I was actually coming at it from this angle. And that then gives you another opportunity to address the question. Whereas then if you just waffle and then stop, they may kind of go, OK, well, let's move on from that one then. Yes, that is exactly right. I would have said exactly the same. And I do coach candidates the same. If you're not sure whether you've answered it, just ask. Or even up front, sometimes people don't even know. They're like, oh, you just clarify the question up front. 
do not begin an answer unless you're sure what the question was. <laughs> okay. Um, so the other thing is, um, you know, I think um, it's also really, really important to, you know, come prepared with thoughtful questions. That's something we've spoken about. Some of us have given a couple of examples, but interviews are a two-way street. So, um, you know, you're, yes, you're getting peppered with questions, but equally you can go ahead and do the same as long as you don't overtake the interview. <laughs> so my tip for questions, a couple of things. So you don't have to save it all up for the end. Interviews will typically say, oh, you can save your questions to the end. But I find a very good technique that puts you in a bit of the, uh, I guess, changes the dynamic a little bit in a good way, more balancing, is asking questions during the interview just a little bit. Don't take over. But, you know, you can answer a question and go, I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts you know, it actually encourages a bit of two-way conversation and it does casualize the interview a little bit, which makes everybody feel a little bit less nerve-wracking, a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more free-flowing, which is what you want in an interview. You don't want these like stiff poker Q&A style interviews. That's just not good for anybody. So you can ask questions during. Don't, don't be afraid to do that. Um, and then, you know, good questions to ask at the end. Like I could do a whole session on this, um, but I won't, but I think it's just important to, you know, one of my biggest tips would be, well, a couple of tips with questions. So start off with a bit of a statement, which shows you've done a little bit of research about the company, then go into your question. Oh, so I've noticed in the media that you guys have done this, 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 or your founders have been involved in X, Y, Z. Could you tell me more about the growth strategy heading into FY23 or whatever it is, right? Show you've done a bit of research, then ask a question. The other types of questions I love asking at the end are really the personal ones, right? I like to say, so you know what? I've noticed you've worked at this company for three years. I would love to know, honestly, tell me honestly, how has your experience been working here? What do you, what do you really like don't like? I want to know like the what's and all, and what do you really enjoy? You're getting two birds with one stone with this kind of question. One, people love talking about themselves and they'll automatically bond with you if you ask them about themselves. So do it. And two, um, you know, you're, actually going to get valuable information about the culture and some of the things that may even frustrate you but you know what, what's the flip side like what's the, what are the good points too you're going to get a pretty well balanced view which is very relevant to you in your, in your assessment of whether or not you want to join the company um so i guess um i guess the kind of i guess wrap-up tips that i would say is um just know that you know in, in every question it is more about your rationale rather than getting to the right answer and um we definitely you know i definitely encourage you to uh, i guess do your best to show your motivation and passion. Don't just tell, like actually show it. People say, oh, you know, I'm interested to work for you. I'm passionate about what you do. Okay, but you can actually take that next level and be way more memorable if you tell us more around your why. So going back to what Val said, like, why do you want to join? And make it personal. So I know like a friend of mine recently wanted to join Canva and was like, my 12-year-old daughter got into Canva and it was really easy for her to use. And she started making candles and making really good side business out of it using the Canva designs. And it got me thinking like, this is such a cool product that even my 12-year-old daughter can develop an entrepreneurial flair from. And so he gave that, he ended up getting the job, which was great. Um, and, you know, candidates give me amazing stories too. They're like, hey, I um, had a friend that... Um, um, went to the doctors, um, they actually used your product on their chest x-ray and um, like they discovered a lung cancer that didn't they wouldn't have seen with a human eye without using your assistive software and it saved, probably saved their life. So you know what, I want to join you guys. So like, you know, coming coming at it with some personal edge or to your story makes it memorable. It shows us that you've, you're well thought out in terms of why you want to join and you're really well motivated and that goes a long way. Like I said, we hire motivation over skills any day. Uh, well, Base level skills have to be there, of course. Um, 
Oh, yeah, look, that's probably um that's the, I guess the final um the final tip I have is just purely, you know, post interview follow up thank you, right? So always a good idea to send a nice thank you notes um to your interviewer. Um let your recruiter know, um, you know, thank you, like I'd love to proceed if given the opportunity. Um, but use that opportunity too with your recruiter. Like if you felt you couldn't or you you didn't answer a question as well as you could have. That's your chance when you chat to either your interviewer or you do the follow-up note or you do it to your, sorry, if you give the follow-up note to either your interviewer or you give it to your recruiter to actually say, hey, in hindsight, um, you asked me this question, I thought about it, and I actually think what I wish I said in the moment was X, Y, Z. So you can actually maybe use that opportunity to turn something to your advantage. Um, I should stop there, but there is one final quest, fun top tip I have, which is just purely that like, and I love asking this at the end. I just love to know, so what are you looking for in an ideal candidate for this role? And then they'll go ahead and tell me what they want and I'll go, okay, okay. And I use that as an, and you would use this as an opportunity to kind of mentally checklist. Uh-huh. Do I take that? Do I take that? Oh, they want this. Well, I actually have this experience and now here's my chance to bring it up. Oh yeah, you mentioned you're looking for this. Well, I actually do have this as well. So ultimately you leave them on a positive note, like, yeah. I'm probably the best person for the role. So um, it's a nice little side tip at the end there as well. I'm really conscious about um, making sure that I leave enough of a pause there to, to show that I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm taking tea. <laughs> before, I, before I interject and, and probably over talk, as I often do. Um, so um, without, um, we'll, we'll um, so that, look, Pam, thanks for that. It's really, really, um, really detailed. Lots of, lots of really good, um, really good tips and, and, and thoughts and insights there. Um, so we've prepared for the interview. We have answered lots of questions in different ways and, and, and be really creative about that. Um, the other part of the interview, of course, is the, the person who's doing the interview, right? The, 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 the manager, let's say, you know, the, the, the hiring manager or the person that's making the decision on who to hire for this role. Um, and Danny, when you and, you and I were speaking um, before, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the prep for today's recording, um, one of the things that, that um, you're especially passionate about is um, how to ensure that managers are um, following a, a consistent interview process and 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 being um, not just I suppose not just fair to each of the you know several people they've been interviewing for a particular role, but also having a level of consistency across the questions that they're asking and the and the format of the interview to ensure that they can more objectively assess which candidate is going to be suitable if you ask you know you've got five candidates and they all get different questions when you're looking at your notes at the end how do you decide yeah you know, which, which that was but particularly i think one of the things that you were particularly um um passionate about within that was about eliminating bias um in that we all have them um you know consciously i'm kind yeah, un unconsciously um and when you're making a decision as a as a as a hirer um there are certain things that you will be predisposed to prefer and or and or dislike. Um, so I know some of you've you, you've done quite a uh, quite a bit of work on in terms of yeah. um, you know managing and coaching managers to do that. Would you yeah. like to kind of share that share that with yeah, us? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is probably like super relevant because I know that obviously we're kind of coming at it a lot from a candidate perspective, but I think probably a lot of the candidates that this will be kind of, uh, or who will be audience to this, will also probably be managers as well. So as we said, recruit, recruiting, we're kind of interviewing as a two-way street. And I think probably the thing about unconscious bias is you can't tackle it until it becomes conscious. Like that, that's the whole thing. Like, I think, you know, using myself as an example, controversial. Um, so kind of when I first became a manager or kind of in my, in my earlier days of management, um, I had um, two of three recruitment business partners um, under me as well. And they were all female, blonde, 
in their early 30s. And at the time, I know you can't believe I used to be blonde. I was never a natural blonde, throwing it out there. Um, but we were all kind of like the, the, the same. Like, and we were, um, two of them were English as well. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily anything that was kind of brought to my attention. Like, I didn't realize that I was doing that as part of my process. But, and I think bias is such a huge subject. And there's so many different types of biases that can come into a recruitment process. But probably the one that I do want to focus on is affinity bias, because I do feel like that that's one of the most common ones. And one of the ones that, you know, kind of it, it affects everybody. And it can come in right at the beginning of the interview process as well. So, you know, right from when we're viewing that CV, we pick out a school on there that we go, oh, that's a really good school. Or I know somebody who went to that school. Um, or you, you pick out a company and you go, oh, yeah, I know somebody who, who went there at that company and it's great. Um, or, you know, you find you pick out something in that CV that you're immediately drawn to. I think probably a really good way to kind of assess affinity bias. And if you think you don't have affinity bias, you do. If you have a look at your friendship group, it's a really good way to kind of assess this. So have a look at your friendship group. How old are they? What race are they? What what social class are they? You know, kind of what, what background are they? Um, I'd say 80% of my friends are English recruiters. So this, this is 100% <laughs> of this. <laughs> exactly. And we're all the same. And I can say the same for me. All of my friends are a similar unnamed age. Um, <laughs> we all hang around the same sorts of places. We've all got the same interests. Uh, we've probably got, you know, kind of one red herring in there who has different political views and different this and different that. But it's, it's natural that we're drawn to people who are like us. And that flows into the recruitment process. And as I say, you can't tackle it unless you're aware of it. Um, so with managers and influencing managers, um, and probably the best way for me to demonstrate this is through an example. So um, kind of coming into a company that was a large enterprise that um, was very established and, you know, you walk into the sales floor and it's, uh, sorry, Liam, all kind of males, <laughs> kind of, um, you know, kind of males as well. And, you know, kind of it's a little bit of a little bit of a lads club. You know, how do you even begin to bring a female into that environment? How are you going to attract a female to that environment? How are you going to get them to try and hire, a, you know, kind of someone who's someone who's, you know, kind of not of their, um, not as part of one of their communities? Like, how are you even going to how are you even going to address that? Um, so for me, a lot of that is obviously kind of bringing it to their attention. But I mean, they're, they're not going to listen to me, kind of somebody who's just come in. They've never had a recruitment function before. And I'm going, you've got to change your interview process. Like, you know, kind of how am I going to influence them to do that? Um, and I think we've all heard this as recruiters um, as well, where you go and, you know, people who are listening as well, and I'm sure you've said this as well, where you go, I don't think they're going to be a good culture fit. Um, and I think that's a really kind of good place to start, because what do you mean by culture fit? Because when you actually drill down into that, a lot of the time it's affinity bias, like it's somebody who's different from you and different from your crew. And that's kind of what it is. So I think part of the way to address that is to bring in behavioural-based interviewing um, or hypothetical-based interviewing, um, but very much in relation to kind of the, the relate to the values of your company. Um, so, you know, for example, with Shopo, our values are think big, get shit done and have fun. And they're our values. And um, so how does that tie into um, behavioural-based interviewing? So I'd say, you know, for the get shit done piece, it's definitely related in, into things like kind of being action-orientated and holding yourself accountable. So... Designing those questions kind of into the interview process so and also making it consistent and making sure that interviewer is asking the same questions to every person so that when they do say, I don't think they're a good culture fit, why? And you can kind of go, not compared to this person, so you can show that you can actually get them to bring up the behavioural-based questions they've asked and you can address that bias and go, well, no, because they're actually kind of hitting the brief here, here and here. So what is the issue? And kind of delving into that a little bit more. 
but also showing them the value of having someone diverse and different to them on their teams as well um, is super important. Like we all know that, um, you know, kind of you can't get any fresh thinking ideas from people who are all all the same, essentially. Um, so showing them the value of that and kind of bringing them, them in as well. And I think as a recruiter as well, you know, kind of it's really important that when we first start working with a company, we sit in on those interviews, we identify the behaviours, the practices, take that away and kind of help kind of design those processes kind of according to that. Um, and I've had it many a time, you know, kind of where another form of bias comes in, you know, kind of the halo effect, they're drawn straight to somebody and they're like, I want to hire that person. And they almost don't give the second person a chance um, kind of when it comes to it because they're so convinced, you know, that's the person, that's the person. So ensuring that and then they'll ask those per that person questions that are in their favour, the things that they know that they've done. And then they're harsher on the next person and they'll kind of ask them questions that are a little bit harder and a little bit tougher because they want to show that this person is the person that they want to hire. So really instructing them to mean that They're asking questions of the second candidate to show them in a, in a less, a in less a lesser light. light. Yeah. Uh, so set, set them up to fail effectively. Yeah, essentially. And a lot of the time, as I say, they're not fully conscious of doing it. They just know they want to hire that person. So they are going to be a little bit tougher on the other person. Um, so making sure that those questions are really kind of consistent and showing the value. And sometimes I'll go, OK, well, you know, what did that the other person say when you asked them that question? And if they sometimes like I have had it or they turn around and go, I didn't ask them that question. <laughs> so that's why it's so important that you can actively, objectively come together at the end of the hiring manager with every person having been, been, been asked the same questions in the same way that reflect the company values, that reflect the job description um, and, and, and influencing, influencing kind of in that way, kind of in, in that kind of very organised way, um, I think is super important to kind of especially kind of help eliminate, I think, if we're specifically talking about affinity bias as well. I've never heard, I don't think I've ever heard the term affinity bias before, but as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And then, I, and then I thought about my friendship group and I was like, yeah, okay, she's got me here. Um, <laughs> uh, Val, you're, uh, you want to, to add something to that? Yes, um, I just have a question actually, because um, we were speaking earlier around, we want to hire people that we like. So what's the fine line between, you know, it's okay to hire someone that we like, right? Because we're going to be working with them, we need to get on with them. So what's the fine line between hiring someone that we like versus being biased? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really good one because I think, and it's, again, some people, when I think, you know, certain industries as well, people aren't going to be the warmest people straight away. Some people get super nervous in interviews and you're not going to see the kind of their true personality kind of when it comes to that. So, you know, as you say, kind of bringing these icebreakers in is going to be super important. But as I say, you know, kind of obviously important you get on with somebody, but also at the same time, you can bring that in a little bit later in the interview stage. You know, kind of you can bring them in for, a coffee with the team or something like that once you've kind of addressed kind of those more behavioral based skills based everything else um you obviously want to make sure that they get on with the team a lot of companies would do like a lunch before they go to offer or a coffee with somebody else in the team just to kind of really um ensure that they can work can work with them i think I'm, again thinking about our, our internal recruitment process um and when i um when we have a, a a potential hire meeting a member of the team you know, maybe one of the senior people, members of the team, somebody's been here for a good while, or could give them different context of of what it's like to work here in the culture and all these things. Um, when I think about when I ask that in that person, what did you think of that candidate? Almost always, the first thing they say is, "Yeah, yeah, I like them," or mm -hmm. yeah. "Or I didn't like them." Um, and I'm only th I'm literally just thinking about this here and now as we're talking about it. And I think that is that's the first thing 
yeah, I like that person. And I, I guess sometimes it would mean, yeah, I like them for this role. But I, my, my, my bet would be that it's more often than not, yeah, I just got on well with them. I could see myself sitting next to them. They won't be very good at the job, but I could really, you know, I could, I really got on with them. We had, we had a good chat about, you know, what we did the weekend. Um, you know, um, so yeah, that's again not something you can do. You, know, you can't do anything about it until you're conscious of it. Um, and I think I, in that moment, just then became conscious of that. So uh, that's that, Danny. It also made me think of something else, um, particularly related to um, Redbubble Val, where and I suppose a question for you where. Um, there will be, because of the nature of nature of the business um, and it being you know very kind of artistic, creative um, type of world. Do you find that um, applicants to roles or people that you're interviewing and end up end up working there tend to be of a certain or, or, or at the the more creative, artistic end of the spectrum, and that's why they're attracted to that organizational industry and therefore you kind of accidentally have that that culture of everyone being the same sort of person doesn't make it make it necessarily a bad thing but i just thought with such a specific um you know um creative artistic industry that might be something that you would you would, you would come across with red bubble um yes and no um i find that we have the applicants that we get are all extremely different. It's definitely not like a stereotype. So we've got people who are, for example, who apply, who are actually parents of um, kids who love Redbubble because our main audience, or, well, our main consumers, 80% or something crazy like that is actually kids from the ages of like 13 to 16 um, who ask for their parents' credit card to buy stuff off Redbubble, you know, stickers and things like that. So it's actually they know Redbubble because of their kids. Or, for example, some people are actually artists on Redbubble. They've used the platform as an artist and now they're applying for a role because their full-time job is actually a software engineer. So we actually attract very different kinds of people. Some haven't really heard of us before, but done some research, really liked what they saw. Um, but... We've got some very, I feel like Redbubble because it's such a inclusive, diverse place. Um, people who are maybe a little bit more different feel a lot more comfortable applying to a company like Redbubble versus another company that's maybe a little bit more corporate. Um, so yeah, we definitely get lots of interesting characters, which we love. But then we also get people who are just, you know, not not artistic at all. And they just want to do coding and that's cool as well. So Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Um, look, I think yeah. Look, uh, as I as I said before, we started the recording. This this had the potential to to be one of the longer uh, longer episodes <laughs> we've done. And I think you know, I think looking at the clock, I think we're around an hour, maybe even a little bit over that at the moment. But I think it's one of these things we could continue talking about uh, into the evening. But um, we've all got um, we've got places to go, I'm sure. Um, so, um, so look, I, I'll just I'd just like to wrap up and say, look, thanks everybody for your your time um, and, and and your thoughts on that. I think there's some really interesting um, insights come out. There's some interesting ideas. Um, hopefully, um, you know, I, I learned some things. There was I had some some aha moments in there in there myself, and you know. I've, done this job for 20 something years you think you think I, I, I know it all already I certainly yeah <laughs> I certainly talk like I do sometimes um but you know I, there was there were some takeaways there for me and obviously the, the the whole purpose of um of this particular episode was to help people um you know um, prepare for ace an interview and, and I suppose to your point Danny actually create that proper interview environment so that the best person can can get that job and ultimately that's what 
that's what our jobs are, right? Our, we, we are, um, uh, the outcome we're looking for is the best person to get the job, the best fit um, to the company and all that sort of thing. So hopefully there are some people listening to this um, that, I've got some tips and that they've got an interview coming up or um, at some point in the future that they, they apply and, and that's the thing that helps them helps them get their dream job. So um, thanks everybody for your um, for your, your input on that. Uh, really do appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, some, some, some great stuff uh, spoken about there. So thank you very much. And um, we'll, uh, we'll all speak again very soon. Thanks a lot.